0: The book of Acts records for us approximately the first 40 years of the church. We look at key highlights of the book of Acts, discovering a community that experiences and continues in revival, a community that sparks revival in other communities, and the life of Paul, a career of revival. It is our turn to press in to revival.
1: All right. This morning, before we stand up and make our declaration, I just want to bring your attention to two verses of Scripture, two passages. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. If you have your Bible, you could uh, turn with me, or you could see it up on the screen shortly. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. The writer of Hebrews, most likely Paul, here's what he says. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So here's a very simple but very important principle. For he himself has said something. And therefore our response, therefore we boldly say. We boldly say. Right? What do we boldly say? What he himself has For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now because he has said that, we boldly, confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? So here's the point. The point is, we must boldly say, we must boldly affirm, we must boldly confess, use whatever language you want. But we must boldly articulate What God has said, that's faith. Amen? Not shyly say, or not apologizingly say, but we confidently, boldly say, why can we say it? Because God has said it. The highest authority, the one who has infinite, unlimited power has spoken, so we can also boldly say. Amen? I want to encourage all of us to come to that place where we choose to boldly say the things God has spoken concerning us. Has God said that you have been healed by his stripes? So you and I can boldly say, by his stripes I have been. Has God said that he will supply for all of your needs according to his riches? Has he said it? So you and I can boldly say, my God supplies. Or all of my? Has God said that He will bless you in all the work of your hands? Has He said it? So you and you, you and I can boldly say, "My God will bless me in all the work of my." See, that's the kind of people we are to be. We are supposed to be in agreement with God. Just look at one passage in Psalm twenty-five. Verse 12 to 14. What has God said about those people who fear the Lord? You and I are sitting here because we have reverence for God. You and I, we come here and we are part of this body because we have this fear for God. We, we want to worship. We want to love Him. What has He said about us? Psalm 25, 12, 13, 14. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Who are the people who fear God? That's you and I. We are people who fear God. What does He say? Him shall He teach in the way He chooses God teaches me in the way I should go. Can we say that boldly? Let's say it together. God teaches me in the way that I should go. Where, where are those people who fear God? What does God do for them? He will teach them in the way they should choose. So when you need to make a decision, we make choices which way to go. Here, this is your blessing. You say, God, I thank you. I I need to make decisions, but your word says you will teach me in the way that I should go. Verse 13. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. God says you will live in prosperity. So you say say that. Some people think prosperity is a bad word. It's in the Bible. (laughs) God said for the people who fear him, They will dwell in prosperity. So you say, God, I thank you that you will prosper me. You will cause me to flourish. Whatever you are, whether you're a businessman, a professional, uh, 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 whatever you're doing, God says, you will dwell in prosperity. Your descendants shall inherit the earth. Your descendants will inherit, meaning they will be possessors. They will be accomplishers. They will be people who do things. So what do you say about your children? Oh God, (laughs) I hope he becomes something. No, the Bible says, if you fear God, your descendants will inherit thee. That's the kind of people, that's the promise that's on their head. Now don't undo that promise, please. But rather affirm that promise. Bless them. Saying, God... You said in your word that my descendants, my children will inherit the earth. They will be possessors. They will be movers, shakers. They will be conquerors. They will ac- they'll be accomplishers. Amen. That's the word. Because he has said, we boldly. How are your children doing? Man, they messed up. No. They are inheriting thee. Because he has said, I boldly say. Amen. Is it a lie to agree with God? Come on. I don't think it's a lie to agree with God because God is truth. He can never lie. So you agree with God. He said, my descendants will inherit the earth. Verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who, meaning God likes to share his secrets with you. Things he doesn't share with other people, say, I'll share it with you. His secret is with those who, Fear him, and he will show them. He will reveal to them his covenant, things that he wants to do for his people. God says, "I will reveal it to them." God is revealing things to you, Amen. So we boldly say what God has said about us, Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to make a declaration. I don't want this to become a sermon. It's just, a if you brought your Bibles, please hold it high up in the air. Let's boldly say because he has said, this is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing. To many people, I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Say hi to the person next to you. Tell them it's, you're happy to see them here this morning. God bless you. you can be seated. Now, we are in a very exciting time we're talking about revivals we're spending some several Sundays just trying to understand about revivals visitations and moves of God and and uh, getting ourselves ready if I'm too loved you could I'm getting excited (laughs) Uh, getting ourselves ready for you know for this move of God just getting ready to say God We want to have revival. We want to see the move of God taking place amongst us. So we began this journey last Sunday as we uh, looked back in the history of the church and just recounted some of the revivals that have taken place. Uh, Just to get a glimpse of what actually happens uh, when God moves among His people uh, and and, and God pours out His Holy Spirit amongst us. What actually happens? And uh, we will come back um, uh, in, a, in another Sunday and just review, go through church history and, and learn some more lessons from that. This morning what I want us to do is to spend time in the book of Acts. The book of Acts records for us the first 40 years of the history of the church approximately. And uh, I want us to look at the book of Acts not just as an historical account of, alright, this is what happened from day one on here to 40 years. Not just as an historical account. But I want us to look at the book of Acts as a record or a testament or a, a, a testimony to what happens when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a visitation of God and a move of God. What actually happens? Look at the book of Acts from that perspective, from that point of view. And the book of Acts does not, you know, so the book of Acts begins with the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It does not end by saying, and now of the Holy Spirit ceased to work. It doesn't end that way. Neither does it end by saying, you know, this was the end of the move of God or the end of the outpouring. It doesn't end that way. It's basically open-ended, meaning the work continues on and on. We're just stopping here in our records. So I want us to look at the book of Acts saying, this is a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What do we see happen in the lives of people who receive, who are recipients of such an outpouring? Now, when we do this study this morning, we're going to divide the book of Acts into three sections. Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 8 is the first eight years of the early church. So that's the first section we're going to look at. And then from Acts 9 to Acts 13 is the next 10 years of the early church. So that's the second section we're going to look at. And then from Acts 13 all the way to the last chapter, which is chapter 28, is a period of approximately 20 years. So 8, 10, and 20, that brings us about to 38 years, approximately 40 years of the history of the church. In the first eight years, we see an account of what happens to a community that receives the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What actually happens to them? In the next 10 years, we see how this community then impacts regions around them, other communities. In the third section, we see how one man who's caught the fire of revival, what happens in and through his life. So the first section, we will see what happens to a community. The second section, we'll see what a community does with it. And the third section, we'll see what one man does with it. Are you with me? That's how we're going to quickly cover 40 years in 40 minutes. (laughs) Right? Now, how does it all begin? You know, this is, uh, the book of Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus going up into heaven and uh, 40 days after his resurrection, he has shown himself alive for 40 days to his disciples. 500 eyewitnesses. Now, if you bring 500 eyewitnesses to the court... To support a case, that case is well defended. So you have 500 eyewitnesses of his resurrection. He's shown himself alive for 40 days. And then prior to his ascension, he tells his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses, but before you go, you've got to receive something. You've got to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so he ascends into heaven. 120 of them follow through in obedience to his command. They go into Jerusalem. They rent out a room called the upper room. And all they do for the next 10 days is wait in that room. But it's very interesting to see how they wait. Acts 1.14 says, they were of one accord and in prayer. Two key ingredients, two very important things for us to become position ourselves to receive a visitation of God, to receive an outpouring of God. Be of one heart, one mind, one accord. We're all in this together. Amen? You know, when we start talking about revival, we say, Pastor, you go if you want. I'm staying here. (laughs) No, we can't. We should not do that. We should be together. Be of one accord. One heart, one mind. They are one accord. And they were praying. They were seeking God. What must they have prayed? You know, they must have been praying, saying, Jesus, you told us to be witnesses. We are ready for it, but you also told us to wait. So, Lord, pour up that power you spoke about. They must have been just waiting before God. They must have been getting their lives ready and saying, God, just get us ready. Make make us make sure that we are vessels that you can pour your power into. And I'm just trying to imagine, what would they have prayed for 10 days? Praying his promises. So they're waiting in the presence of God. And then we see this mighty outpouring taking place, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now Pentecost was 50 days after the day of the first fruits. The Lord Jesus was crucified on the feast of the Passover. Three days later was a feast of the first fruits, the day of his resurrection. After 50 days after the feast of the first fruits is the feast of Pentecost. Penta means five, 50 days from the resurrection of Jesus is the feast of Pentecost. It's just the harvest festival. What usually, and this happened during the month of April and May. And what usually happened, Jerusalem at that time was a city with just an estimated number, population of 100,000 people. All right. But what happens, what used to happen normally during the feast, these, these three feasts, which basically took place within 60 days, was people from all around that region, Asia Minor, other parts of Europe, <coughs> would come into Jerusalem and they would stay there for that entire period, most of them. And all of a sudden, Jerusalem, all of a sudden, this city, which normally had about 100,000 people. Thanks. Okay, thanks. All right, strep cells. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, this, this city, which just had about 100,000 people. Now was uh, just overflowing with about 500,000 people during this feast time. And on the day of Pentecost, as these 120 were in the upper room, God poured out his Holy Spirit. And... Uh, you know what happened in the upper room? Uh, there was a sound of a rushing, muddy wind. Uh, there were tongues of fire descending on them. They all began to speak with other tongues. And, and Peter stands up and he begins to explain to the crowd. Now, you know, imagine they are on the first floor. The streets are packed with people. Five times more than the normal. And all of a sudden they hear in the upper room that something's happening. People are speaking in the languages of the cities from which they came from. And so there you have this big crowd gathered right outside the upper room. And you have different reactions. In 2 Acts chapter 2, some were confused. They said, what's happening? Some were amazed and marveled. Some were perplexed. They were in all of this, but they were all very confused. And some started mocking. These men are all drunk. They're making this noise. The point I want to say is, when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit you will get all kinds of reactions from the world. Don't think that the world is going to appreciate you and me just because we are recipients of a mighty move of God. There are going to be people who will mock us. There are people who will be confused. They don't know what's happening to us. And some will, of course, be amazed. saying, Wow, something is happening there. And so Peter stands up. He begins to explain. But here's a very interesting thing about Peter, as he begins to explain, he says, "This is that." What did he say? "This is that," meaning to say, what you're seeing now, this is that, which Joel the prophet prophesied in Acts chapter two. Now when you put these two things side by side, Joel said, "When God pours out his spirit. There'll be visions, there'll be dreams, there'll be prophecies. In Acts chapter 2, what do we see? There's a sign of a rushing mighty wind, there are tongues of fire, and people speak in other languages. Would you say this is that? No. But the Holy Spirit says this is? mean, The point is that when the Spirit of God is moving, it doesn't mean we have to have copies of the same phenomena. The phenomena could be different, but it's the same work of the Holy Spirit. This is that, amen. So, when the Spirit of God is moving, let's not get too focused on the phenomena. Let Him release whatever supernatural things that He wants, whether it's tongues, visions, prophecies, the sounds of uh, you know natural elements, and so on. That's okay. Let the Holy Spirit do as He wills. But the important thing for us to focus in on is this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Otherwise, we'll all get very upset with Peter. Peter, I'm sure you didn't go to seminary. That's why you're confusing scripture. (laughs) No, he's speaking by the Spirit. And he's saying this is that. It's the work of the same Holy Spirit. So, what do we see in the first eight years? What happened to this community of people Starting out with this 120, what happened in Jerusalem in the first eight years? I'm going to quickly summarize it. First eight years, what do we see in this community? Now, on the very first day of the outpouring, the 120, as a result of Peter's preaching, 3,000 people were added to the church. And that's real fast growth. And Peter had not been to fuller theological summary. He had not learned about church growth. He had not learned about the purpose-driven church. He had not learned about the secret sense of church. He had not learned any of the things we confuse ourselves with. Thank God. He had 3,000 people in his church. 120 apostles. I mean, 120, 12 apostles and the others. One day, 3,000 people. It is estimated that by the end of eight years, the church in Jerusalem had grown... To 20,000 people, is this an estimate? That by the end of eight years, 20,000 people. Now keep in mind that 80% of this population were people from out of town, only 20% were local Jerusalem residents. The others were people who had happened to come there to celebrate the feast of the Passover. They were touched by God and they decided to stay. So they had to find accommodation. They had to get jobs. They had to take care of their livelihood. Some of them went back, sold their property and came back to Jerusalem like Barnabas did. And so they had had to just readjust their whole lives because they wanted to stay in the middle of what God was doing. Are you with me so far? So a lot of things were happening. But what do we see in this community? What are what happened to them as the Holy Spirit was moving? And I want to enumerate these things very quickly. First of all, we see in this community, and I'm, and I'm summarizing the first uh, the eight chapters, Acts chapter two to eight, that we see souls being saved and brought into the kingdom of God. The Bible says in different places daily people are being saved. The number of disciples. Multiplied the word of the Lord grew powerfully. So, can you imagine? Every day, people were being added to the church. People were being saved in that community. This is what happens. So, the Holy Spirit is moving on us. Number two, the community com- continued steadfastly. That means committedly, in a, in a committed way, in the teaching, in the fellowship, in sharing, and in prayer, in the temple and house to house. So, here you have thousands of people. Peter does not have their mobile numbers. They are not on WhatsApp. They are not on Facebook. But yet they are so committed without receiving a message. They show up. Getting what I'm saying? (laughs) They show up in the temple to hear the teaching of the apostles. Without getting any prompting and emails and shouting and pushing. They From the house to house, they are meeting. They are continuing in the teaching, in the word that they're hearing. In fellowship with one another. In prayer. No prompting from the apostles. Because imagine now there are thousands of people, you know, maybe 10,000 people. Peter doesn't know everybody's names. But they're all together. Continuing steadfastly. In the teaching, in fellowship, in sharing, in prayer in the temple, and from house to house. The third thing we see in this community is that they had great reverence and fear for God because of all the things that were happening. Over and over again, you see that great fear was upon them. Meaning they had this awe. They had this reverence for God. Being a believer was not a casual thing. It was not even a fashionable thing. They came with awe and reverence when they came to worship they didn't come to be entertained. They didn't say, Pastor, let me see what nice stories you can tell me to make me laugh today. They came with awe and reverence. What do you think Peter, James, and John would have spoken to the people? For eight years, the only things they could preach was everything Jesus told them in three years' time. That's quite repetitive. The same stories. The same miracles. That's all they knew. Is it right? This is what Jesus taught them in three years. They just kept teaching that to the people. This is what Jesus taught us. This is what Jesus taught us. This is what Jesus said. You heard the Sermon on the Mount. Hear it again. Hear it again. That's all they knew. They taught the people. This is what happened. He cursed the fig tree. Or right, they taught the people. And yet they had such awe, reverence for God. Because God was moving amongst them powerfully. It was a community, number four, that demonstrated great power and grace and grace. Signs, wonders were done in that midst. Miraculous things, signs and wonders were happening. And I believe when God inundates us, saturates us with his presence, that's what's going to be the norm. Signs, wonders, and miracles. It was a community, number five, that boldly faced opposition and persecution from religious leaders. Meaning, the leaders around the, the system of that day began to attack them. They faced persecution, opposition. But you know, they took it like, wow, we counted an honor to suffer shame for his name. And they faced it boldly. That's what happens when we are overwhelmed by his spirit. It a community of great prayer. They prayed. Time and again, you find that they came together, they prayed. Acts 4 says, when they prayed, the place was shaken. It was a community of one heart and one mind. Not only did they begin that way in Acts chapter 1, but you see them continuing that way. They stayed together. They flowed together. They were in harmony. They maintained unity in the spirit. Number nine is a community whose influence spread to other cities. So people from round around Jerusalem, they came. It was like a magnet. People being pulled into Jerusalem because of what was happening. People started coming into Jerusalem to experience the touch of God, the power of God on their lives. Are you all with me so far? You guys are excited? Or okay, Pastor, quick now. <laughs> this was what was happening. People started coming into Jerusalem because here was a move of God, a visitation of God. It was a community that community that experienced angelic visitations, angels moving and acting in that community do you think they've retired after the book of acts or are they still working come on guys i think ages are still that active it is a community that peacefully and with wisdom resolved disputes and problems so they had problems i'm not saying they didn't but they solved them and they moved on it was a community where others were being raised up full of the holy spirit faith and wisdom and were doing great signs and wonders. So it was not just the apostles who were doing miracles. Others were raised up and you have names like Stephen and and Philip and others who were also moving in signs, wonders and miracles. People were being raised up to do this. 13, it was a community whose influence touched the leadership of their day. So that many, many priests believed. So even the priests, the very people who were opposing them now were getting saved and being brought in to the church. That's two points. Fourteen, it was a community, community that in eight years raised up disciples who could carry the fires of revival to other places in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So think about this. In a short span of eight years, speaking to about 20,000 people, many of them were raised up. They received the same fire. Their hearts were strong in the word, in the spirit. Because at the end of the 8th chapter, we find great persecution in order to squash what was happening there in Jerusalem. But overnight, these 20,000 people moved out of Jerusalem. And again, historically, it is estimated there were about 200 towns and cities all around Jerusalem. So overnight, these disciples fled into all these towns and cities around Jerusalem And in in what was an attempt to squash one, you now had 200 of these all around. And everywhere these disciples went, they reproduced what they were carrying. Are you with me? And this was not the apostles. These were people like you and me, just being scattered because of persecution. They were able to raise up communities. We read about Philip who goes on to Samaria. We read about Some unnamed people, we don't even have their names, they come to Antioch in Syria, which is about 300 kilometers north of Jerusalem. They come there and they raise up a community that was full of power, full of the fire of the Holy Spirit by these unnamed disciples from the church. So imagine if we closed down APC tonight, today, if we said, today is the last service. God bless you guys. How many of us would have enough inside us to go and start other communities in the city or around the country, but that's what happened in eight years. Are you with me? In eight years, so that all across Judea, Samaria, disciples went far up as Syria. They crossed the the Mediterranean over to uh, Crete, and they just scattered all around and they raised up communities, churches, with the same DNA, with the same fire, with the same word that they had been hearing all along. They didn't have their iPhones to carry all the sermons they'd recorded. In fact, no books, nothing. All they had was what they heard, taught, and what they soaked themselves in for eight years. Peter was not printing publications, giving it to them. None of that. Lastly, we see that God was working with this community, and he was intervening with people in high places, so that people, number 15, so that people like Saul... Ethiopian eunuch, God was, by divine intervention, he was beginning to touch these people. Now here's the point. This is the kind of community we are saying God make us when we say God we want revival. This is the kind of community we are saying God make us this kind of people when we say God we want an outpouring. Are you ready to become like this? Yes or no? This is the kind, this is what we are praying. Saying God make us like this. We want the Holy Spirit to move amongst us like this. This is what we'll become. So, this is what the church should really be all about. This is it. All right, let's go to the next 10 years. Acts 8 to 13. In the next 10 years, what do we see? We see Saul, who was a great persecutor, he comes to faith in Christ. But we also see the leaders from Jerusalem now traveling out to these communities that have been established. We see Peter and John in Acts 8, they come to Samaria. We see in Acts, 11, in Acts 10 and 11, Peter traveling through other parts. Through Lydda, through, Lydda, through Joppa, uh, through Caesarea. Peter's traveling. He's strengthening these other communities. In Acts 11, we see Barnabas from Jerusalem being sent to Antioch in Syria. Uh, and we see another team later on coming to Antioch to strengthen the work. So what do we see in the next 10 years? We see that the leaders and others from Jerusalem... They are traveling and they are strengthening these quote-unquote daughter churches or these other communities that have been formed. They were imparting into their lives. And here is the result of one of them. In Antioch, within three years from the time that church was formed approximately, within three years, in Acts 13, when you come to Acts 13 verse 1, you find within three years, leaders and apostles, uh, prophets and teachers have been raised up in Antioch. Within three years. How is that possible? It's because leaders from Jerusalem had come and imparted into the life of that church. So what are we saying? This is what we want to impress on our hearts. That when we become a community that is receiving the visitation of God, receiving the outpouring of God, it is also our responsibility to be carriers of this to other parts of our city and other parts of our nation. We must go and pour out into other communities. Spread the fire of revival. It means that you and I should be willing to go out. Are you with me? Right? It's not like, okay, God, I'm having a nice time here in Bangalore. This is it. No. We should be willing to become carriers of what God gives to us. Be willing to go to other parts of our nation and pour out so that others, we can actually accelerate what happens in other parts of our nation when we go and pour out what God has been giving to us. Are you with me? So in in the next 10 years, this is what happens. The other thing we see in the next 10 years is that more leaders are being raised up in the church in Jerusalem. We read about Agabus. We read about Silas, who are prophets, uh, who are raised up in the Jerusalem church and are now sent out to minister at other locations. We now come to the last section. The next 20 years, where the book of Acts, this is Acts 13 to Acts 28. The book of Acts begins to focus on Paul, the apostle. A lot of other things are happening. Other believers are serving in other parts of, of the region. But the next 20 years, the focus is on this man, Paul. Very quickly to, to narrate what's happening in his life. Paul must have been between 29 to 33 years of age when he had this encounter with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. So really, he's, he's against Christians. He's a Pharisee by this time. And on the way to Damascus, he has his encounter with Jesus. He spends three years, the first three years of his new life uh, 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 as a believer in Damascus. He goes into parts of Arabia to preach Jesus there. He comes back into Damascus. The Jews and the Arabians try to kill him. So towards the end of the three years, he goes for his own safety. He goes to Jerusalem for 15 days. He gets to meet Peter and John for the Peter and James for the first time spends 15 days with Peter, and his own life is threatened in Jerusalem. So they send him off to Caesarea, and there from there he goes back to his hometown in Tarsus, and he spends the next approximately six to ten years in Tarsus, in that region, and nobody knows what happens. Meaning those are the silent years of the Apostle Paul. So approximately. 13 years of his first of his life from the time of his conversion is spent that way. There is not much detail, not much record of how he spends those 13 years. But towards that time, Barnabas uh, who's leading the work in Antioch goes and brings Saul from Tarsus. He brings him to Antioch. They spend two years there establishing the church in Antioch in Syria. And then Paul begins his missionary journeys. Are you with me so far? Now, Paul's missionary journeys take place in a region of the world that we are very familiar today. Because it's in the news almost all the time. So you imagine Israel, North Syria, Turkey, Greece, Italy, and a little bit into Albania. These are the regions that, and Cyprus. And these are the regions where Paul travels. A lot of it is spent in Turkey, which today is, is being devastated. But here's what I want us to look at Paul as. Look at his life as a carrier of revival. We can look at Paul's life as a leader. We can look at Paul's life as a great apostle and so on. But I want you to see him as a carrier of revival. Because in about approximately 20 years of ministry. This is from uh, AD 44 to AD 68. Approximately 20 years of His missionary journeys. He makes three journeys in this region. And then he makes a fourth journey over into Rome. He's held captive in Rome for two years. He's released for a brief period. He travels again. He's brought back to Rome. And then in sixty eight, he's beheaded. He's killed. So in approximately 20 years. As a carrier revival. What does Paul accomplish? Here's the summary. In about 20 years time. Paul travels to 49 Named cities and towns in that region. Now remember in those days there were no aeroplanes, no cars. You either had to walk, ride on an animal, or take the boat. And in 20 years, he travels to 49 named cities and towns that we have. It's possible he could have covered more. And everywhere he goes, he raises up congregations. He raises up communities. That have the same fire and the word of God. We know that they're all spiritual, tongue-talking kinds of communities. Why? Because he writes to them. You look at what he writes in Corinth. Look at what he writes in Ephesians. Look at what he writes in Galatia. He always talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in all of these communities. So we know they're all powerful, on fire, spiritual communities. Are you with me so far? In the same period of, of about 20 years... Paul also raises up at least 24 other people who become carriers of revival. Because we have the names of 24 others. And there are many others whom he just refers to as fellow workers. So it's possible there were many more people that he raised up. And these people went through this entire region of Asia Minor and Europe doing the same work. So much so that in some places, Paul never went himself. But churches were raised. In Colossae, Paul never went there personally. But Epaphras and, and Philemon were the ones who raised up that work. Rome, the work in Rome. Paul worked with uh, Aquila and Priscila, and They went back and strengthened the work in Rome. Paul never did it himself. But he raised up other people who were carriers of revival, So that in, in that entire region, many, many uh, cities, many, uh, many places... Uh, were affected. Paul was able to impact across cultures, Jews and Greeks, across social lines, the rich and the poor, educated and uneducated. He impacted cities, the marketplace, and people in high places. He was feared in Rome. Paul writes that when he was under house arrest in Rome, he had the imperial Roman guard taking care of him. Meaning, this this is the cream of the soldiers who came to take care of him. And to every one of them, he shared the gospel. So much so that they went and brought the gospel into the palace. He stood before kings. He stood before emperors. Proclaiming Jesus Christ. He also made use of whatever technology was available in his day. Which was writing. He wrote about 13, 14 epistles. So here's the point I want us to make. I want to make here. I believe God intentionally focused on one man's life for the next 20 years. So let us, let you and me know what can happen through us if we choose to become carriers of revival. If God can do it through Paul, I believe he can do, use you and use me to be carriers of his presence. To, carriers, to be carriers of the move of God impacting our sphere of influence. Amen. So let us, in closing here, let us press in for revival. For a mighty outpouring of God's spirit like we saw what happened in the history of the church. Let us press it. Let's prepare to be a community of people saturated with God. What we saw happen in Jerusalem. That kind of a community. Let us set ablaze other communities with revival fire. I look forward to the time. when there are so many of us traveling across this country. And everywhere we go, we ignite fires of revival. Do you think it can happen? That's not me. I believe it can. God used ordinary people. And let us, each of us, become carriers of revival into our spheres of influence, like Paul. That we impact our world, we raise up communities that experience this revival, this experience the power and the presence of God. Amen? Let's rise to the feet. Let's call our worship team up. This morning as we're standing here, I want us to pray and say, God, we want an outpouring of your spirit upon us. We desperately need that. Amen. We need this outpouring of God's spirit upon our lives to revive us, to set us on fire for Jesus, to have this passion for God, for the kingdom of God. And we, we, we need to pray and say, God, we want this. We want the glory of God released upon us. You say, Pastor, you don't know tomorrow morning I've got to get up and go meet my boss. It's easy for you to talk about revival. I've got to meet my boss tomorrow morning. I understand. I know we've all got challenges in life. But you know, when the glory of God is released amongst us, what does God say? He told Moses in Exodus 33. When his glory is released upon us, he says, I will manifest my goodness. I will manifest my compassion. I will show you my mercies. I will reveal my name. In other words, when God's glory is released upon us, you will begin to experience His goodness, His mercies, His compassion touching every area of your life, affecting your workplace, affecting things you're doing, at home, everywhere. So this is something we must press into. And God's glory will touch and affect every part of our life, everything we do. His goodness, His mercies, His compassion will touch every area of our life. Amen? So let's just pray and say, God, we want this. I may not understand everything about it, but I want it. I want more of you. I want more of your spirit. I want more of your glory, God. And that itself is the desire of God's heart. He wants to release his glory upon us. So could we all, as we're standing here, just take a moment to pray. If you feel it's stirred up in your heart, saying, God, I want this, would you pray and just say, God, pour out your spirit upon us. Just go and open your mouth and Pray, pray however you wish. Pray in tongues. Pray in the, pray in the Spirit. Pray in, in, in your own language. Just say, God, pour out your Spirit upon us. Let your glory come upon us as a church, as a community, God. We want this. We want your glory, God. We want the outpouring of your Spirit upon us, Father. We want this. Oh, God. Father, we just look to hear this morning. Father, you've set for us a pattern in the book of Acts of the kind of church you want to raise, of what you desire to release on the earth. And we pray you will do it again, Father, in our day, in our time, that we will be recipients of a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit, a mighty visitation. Of you. Oh God, that your glory will be released upon us because you said that this, glory, this house is to be a place for your glory, God that your goodness, your mercies, your compassions will be lavished upon us, oh God. We pray, Father, that what you said will come to pass, that the Gentiles will see the light, and they will come to the brightness of our rising, God. It will be like a magnet that draws in the sinner, that draws in the unsaved, and they see the glory of God upon us. We pray for this, God. We ask for this. We pray your goodness, your mercies, your compassion, God. Touch every life. Every person's life. Let's just take a moment to worship Him.